kids, it is great to have you in here with us. I want, I want to ask you guys a question. What is something that you are, like, super excited about? Like, what's, what's something that if, like, your parents were to say, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe something like, we're going to Legoland tomorrow, uh, what, 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 how would, maybe I'll ask this question, how would you respond, kids, if your parents said, we're going to Legoland tomorrow? What are some other things in life that get you, like, really excited? Go ahead and share. And this could be for everybody. It doesn't have to be our kids alone. What are some things that get you really, like, excited? Oh, my gosh, Ellie. Well, if you don't know, I, and if you didn't hear that, my daughter said, this was not planted, by the way. But she just, the question was, what's something that get, you're really excited? And she said, when your mom and dad tell you that they're pregnant. And we, we are expecting baby number five. So that was not planted. Yeah. So, yes, that, that is something that is exciting or shocking. It definitely causes a response. <laughs> what else? What are, what, are, what are other things that, like, make you excited? And, again, this doesn't have to be just kids. This can be adults, too. What are things that get you stirred? Naps. Naps. Hey. <laughs> Baby sleeping through the night. Nice. I like it. Airsoft, okay. Yeah. It's good. Oh, that got you excited. That's cool. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So get getting things? Golf. Dodger games. Mountain biking. Baseball. Bratwurst. Yes, beach in the summertime. That sounds so amazing right at this exact moment. Snow, yeah. I know, Bert, sometimes an overcast, gloomy day. It's, yeah. Uh, there are a number of things that get us excited. We had a community group, uh, Evan was sharing, and he, he uh, was talking about this show that's on Netflix right now uh, called Full Swing. And... Maybe some of you have watched it or started watching it. And it was interesting, in our community group, it was almost like a mild gasp of like, oh my gosh, yes, it's so cool. Like, it's so amazing. Uh, And there was this this internal, like, instant response to something that either we love or find fascinating. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage in Isaiah 12 uh, that talks about a response to something that's actually happened. Uh, for our family meeting, we are, we are doing a, a different Sunday gathering this morning. And, and so I thought it would be appropriate to take us here. And this is a passage that was brought to me actually by my dad uh, on my 40th birthday. Uh, and it's 
funny, I, I actually, I think, and maybe he told it to me prior, but maybe something you should know about my dad. My dad takes copious notes and journals um, and almost never gets rid of them, probably to my mother's chagrin. Uh, there is like volumes, which is really cool uh, on the one hand, but sometimes maybe he, he never knows when something's going to pop up. Honestly, just like I think last week, he sent me this really cool text message. He's like, did you know that 14 years ago today, you told us that you guys were pregnant with Lucas? Praise God. And I was like, no, I did not know that. But I'm so stoked that you do, Dad. And that's so amazing. And at my 40th birthday, there was a time, a, a, a very short time, where my dad just prayed over us and shared a little bit out of Isaiah 12. And I had no idea, but he said, this was the passage that I was reading the day you were born. And sure enough, he brought me his Bible, 40 years old, which he also keeps all of his Bibles, and they are all written up. And, you know, it's not like I wasn't believing him, but just in case I wasn't, uh, I got to see and, you know, his handwriting, you know, stuff sketched out with my name on it. And ever since that day, I, I haven't been able to let this passage go. And I hope and pray that this morning that the Lord will use this passage to stir you and I once again. Father, we ask you to teach us this morning in your word. We ask you, humbly, Holy Spirit, to have your way with us. And we ask you, Jesus, King of the universe, to bring these truths into realities of our lives. So we give you this morning, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 12. And as we read this this morning, friends, I, I, even though we're taking a slight departure from Romans, I actually want you to keep Romans buried in your brain. Tim referenced, but while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, even though we're talking in Isaiah, Jesus is really in view in this passage. And so he says, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, our Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation and you will say on that or in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So six verses for us this morning. 
You will say, in that day I give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. It might be helpful for us to gain a tiny bit of context here. Israel at this point is under God's judgment. And he's using a foreign, godless Assyrian country to bring his judgment upon them. For they have ceased to take care of the widows. They have ceased caring for the poor. They are not welcoming of their neighbors and foreigners. Interestingly enough, they do continue to offer sacrifice in the temple, but they are meaningless. Ultimately, they have turned their backs on Yahweh, and they have ceased to be the people that he's called them to be. So in in this moment, in Israel's history and where they are, the felt experience for the people is actually judgment. So Isaiah is looking forward to the day where anger and judgment is not their felt experience. On that day, you were angry with me. And your anger turned away that you might comfort me. What is that day? Ultimately, this is Jesus going to the cross. In Isaiah 11, we see the root or the stump of Jesse, the promise of the Messiah that would come. On that day, where Jesus goes to the cross, the moment when all history is altered, as Jesus receives the anger and judgment we deserved as sinners who've fallen short of the glory of God, and instead of receiving anger and judgment, those who put their faith in Jesus now receive comfort. On that day that Isaiah is longing for, in that moment where Israel is being rebellious, is ultimately pointing toward the day when Jesus would go to the cross on our behalf, taking our guilt, our sin, our shame. And as we've learned in Romans, realize that it's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we are justified by faith. So Isaiah goes on to say, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be, re- be afraid for Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. God is my salvation, not my good works. We're not on some cosmic scale weighing out my degree of badness versus others. We're not going through this life trying to make sure that my good ultimately outweighs my bad no matter how much this world tries to say that's the point of life no god is my salvation and it's only possible because of that day When Jesus makes a way for us to be made right with God. God is my salvation. Therefore, I will trust and not be afraid. No matter what I might face here and now, I will trust in God. Yahweh, he is my strength and my song. This is an interesting phrase. This is actually... Uh, this, this gets its genesis from Exodus. Funny, I didn't mean to say it like that, but that was kind of clever. I wish I did. Um, 
But this comes from Gen- uh, Exodus 15.2, actually. Which, if some of you might remember, this comes after Israel is rescued out of Egypt, and they walk across dry land. And there's a song that they sing, and in that, they say, the Lord is my strength, and he is my song. You see, what happened to the Israelites as they walked through the Red Sea? They were delivered, they were rescued, they were set free. And as a result, they declare that he is my strength, Meaning that he is my power, he is strong, he is the one that made the walls of the ocean or the the ocean split and the walls rise up of the ocean or in the sea and it caused Israel to walk through this dry ground. And as they walk through and they get to the other side, they declare that he is our strength and our song for we have been delivered. In essence, what Isaiah is saying is that just as God delivered and saved Israel from the Egyptians, so through Jesus are we delivered, rescued, and set free. This is the reality. The question is, do we respond in a similar way? With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Look at these emotions and postures and tones in this section. From verse 2, trust, not being afraid, strength and song, joy, thanksgiving, proclamation that his name is exalted, singing, shouting. And in this passage it says, on that day or in this day, this will be the way the people of God respond. Because they have been delivered, because they have experienced salvation, they sing. They proclaim, they shout. And friends, when it comes to areas that we want to grow this year as a church, and I know it's silly or maybe it might be obvious, but one of the primary areas that we want to help encourage one another this year is in our upward relationship with God and stepping into this reality that just as Israel was delivered out of Egypt You, sons and daughters of the king, have been delivered out of the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved son. And this is our present reality. It's not just our future promise. It's what's here and it's what's now. And the question is, if this then is true, so what? We want to grow in our upward awe, reverence, 
worship of King Jesus. That, of course, includes things like Bible reading and prayer, but it also includes our times when we gather together to proclaim the truth, the reality of who Jesus is. And friends, I think it is important for us to ask the question, as we look at these emotions, as we look at these postures, like, is this true of how we respond? And I'm not trying to heap any guilt or shame on anyone. But I think if we're to be honest, we often struggle with responding to the reality of the good news of Jesus in a manner that's similar to this. Do we with joy draw water from the wells of salvation? Do we sing praises to the Lord for he's done gloriously? Are we making this known in all the earth? Are we shouting? Are we singing? Are we crying out? And I think it, the good news is, like, yes, absolutely. To some degree, that is, that is taking place. But the beautiful reality is that there's invitation to grow. But I'm curious what keeps us from responding these ways about Jesus. When was the last time you shouted at a sunset? <laughs> because it just was mind-blowing. Or sat in awe and reverence. When was the last time you hooped and hollered? Is that what you call it? Hoop and holler? Whoop, whoop, whoop and holler? Whoop and holler. Whoop. <coughs> whoop and hollered for Jesus. Hoot and holler. See? See, this is why we do this together, friends. I guess what I'm saying is, is friends, I, there are things that exist in our life that neuter our heart and our vibrancy towards Jesus. That things are awful, busy, and crowded. And loud. That perhaps the most beautiful and glorious thing about us actually doesn't get the attention and or response that we even want it to have. And friends, we want to journey together. And looking at what that might look like. And I think when it comes to this growing in our upward relationship, I think there are, there are gifts that God has given his church and disciplines that he's given the church specifically in the area of confession and repentance. That there is an invitation this year to pick up on. Again, not to guilt or shame anyone. 
but for us to together realize that there is room for growth and that there are things that are clouding our heart, that are clouding our mind, that are clamoring for our attention, that are getting in the way of our worship, adoration, celebration of who Jesus is. What does the Lord want? He wants a humble and contrite heart. Friends, I want us to step into this together. Some of you are aware of some of the things that are happening or have been happening out in Asbury. Um, just out of curiosity, hands up if you've heard anything about Asbury right now. Okay. There's lots of different thoughts and emotions from extreme criticism. Uh, and basically, let me, let me break down what, what has happened in Asbury as far as we know. There is a, uh, it seems to be a, a reawakening or a move of uh, the Lord, amongst younger people in particular, that stemmed from confession and repentance. It, what has, took place was during a normal, I went to Biola, so I know I had to be, I was forced to go to chapel many times. I did not love it. Uh, it was not always my favorite thing, but I had to do it to graduate. Similar at Asbury University, it's a similar deal. They had to go to university or to chapel three times a week in order to get the credits that they needed to graduate. At one of these simple chapel gatherings with a speaker who was unprepared and lazy, according to his own words and his own preparation, God began to stir students. And it started with somebody being humble enough and gutsy enough to start confessing their sins. And from there, it slowly grew, where people were confessing their sins, consecrating themselves unto the Lord. And by the end of, I think, the first day, there were hundreds of students who you couldn't have paid to go to chapel. You could force them, but you couldn't pay them to do it, are now there out of their own will, worshiping and praising God. Nothing flashy. There's no smoke machines. There's no Matt Redman. There's no incredible worship leader. There's this gentle, humble move of people saying, Jesus, we need you. And then they went on to meet for the next 13 days. Between 20,000 and 100,000 people have come to see what's happening in this place. You can think what you want. Actually, I want to I want to say you can think what you want and you can. I can't control what you think. But friends, I do invite you to take a humble posture. I grew up in a lot of circles that are quick to condemn a move like this and say this is not God moving. This is men and women being silly. I bring them up because what's what we just read in Isaiah 12 is what they're doing. They're consecrating themselves unto a holy God who has redeemed them, who has set them apart. You are not responsible for their outcome. God is. And we're not trying to multiply or reproduce 
the revival, we care about the reviver. And our hope, our dream is not to emulate what happened in Asbury, but our hope is that we would step into the reality that God has truly redeemed us, set us free, brought us into his family, and it changes everything, especially our worship. The end of this passage says, Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. It's this beautiful picture that as the people of God believe the reality, the true things about who God is, and when they sing it, guess what? There is evidence of the Holy One of God who is in our presence. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in each and every one of us. There's this beautiful connection in this passage, this tie between worship and evangelism. And it's not one without the other. They are intricately connected. Yes, go. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Yes, go do that. But as we do and as we invite people in, let us show them the glory, the beauty, the wonder of who our God really is. And this has nothing to do with faking anything. This has nothing to do with putting on a fake smile. This has to do with being a people that recognize that we have been rescued. We have been redeemed. There was a day when we were once enemies of God. But now, through Jesus, we have been brought to peace. Friends, Jesus has come. That day can be today and tomorrow. This is an invitation to, about stepping into what is actually true. That he is God. He is my salvation. He's made a way through Jesus. And now we are forgiven. We are saved. Because he has finished the work. Worship team, you can come on up.